depths I cry to you In darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord my sinful ways how could i come before your throne yet full forgiveness meets my gaze i stand redeemed by grace alone i will wait for you No! 
just as the scripture verse called us to do, to wait upon the Lord and to cry out to him, we're going to spend a few moments right now in prayer. If you want to kneel, if you want to sit down, if you want to stand, whatever posture you want to take, let's spend some time praying right now. The first thing I want to guide us to pray for is that we would praise the Creator. that we surrender to the Savior. Let's pray that we rest in the Comforter. trust in the provider. Let's pray that we love our neighbors. word calls us to pray for our enemies.
let's pray for leaders. fishers of men. I cry to you in darkest places I will call incline your ear to me anew and hear my cry for mercy Lord I will wait for Hey Westgate, I'm Phil and this is Lou and we are thrilled to be speaking with you today. Uh, we're up here in Arlington, Texas, uh, in our living room actually, uh, at our, our kitchen table. Uh, I, I work at a church here in town called Lake Church. Uh, wonderful church, uh, goodness gracious, it's a, it's a great church. Uh, and then Lou, she actually serves uh, at Impact Counseling. I'm an LPC, Licensed Professional Counselor, and we have three children, two boys and one girl. I'm also the Executive Director of a nonprofit called Restoration Community. So about a year ago or so, um, we were actually endorsed to, to church plant in uh, South Walton, Florida. And so we're looking this upcoming summer to be transitioning that direction. And so we have a lot of stuff in the mix. You got family, marriage, children. Uh, my goodness, uh, 
counseling, all of that stuff. But we want to share a little bit about our story and a little bit about where we're from. So I'm actually from Beaumont, Texas. I grew up there. I went through Marshall Middle School and Westbrook High School. When I was in seventh grade, I became a Christian. And right about that time, I got to be friends with a group of girls. Yeah. Some of those girls I'm still connected to. Yeah. And we all ended up at, you know, youth group at Westgate together. So I got plugged in there and I just remember lots of really sweet times there. D-Now weekends, mission trips, um, Bible studies. There were so many people there who poured into me in my really formative years right as I was, um, right as I became a Christian. So. so we actually met freshman year at East Texas Baptist, uh, ETBU over in Marshall. Uh, it was a great experience. It really was. It was so a lot fun. of fun. Yeah, so uh, fun. A lot of dear friends to this day. Um, just, it was wonderful. It was such a great thing. We actually had appreciation of art together freshman year, and that's where we met each other. Yes, and my roommate freshman year was Kat Harris, who some of you guys know because she's connected to Westgate. So we were in the freshman dorm together and just had a great time. Yeah, y'all's window was Kat and Lou. I remember still to this day. It was yeah, so fun. yeah. Super fun. So, um, but actually before I got to UTBU, I grew up in Houston. And, um, so we started dating freshman year and then I went back to Houston just to, to visit some friends at Houston Baptist University. Uh, some dear friends that I grew up going to church with over in Houston, it was a Gulf Meadows Baptist Church. And, and uh, we're there and we're all talking and they want to know, do I have a girlfriend? I said, actually, yeah, I just started dating a girl a couple weeks ago, uh, Lou Ruxtel. Uh, and they're like, oh my goodness, where is she from? Where is she? And I said, she's in Beaumont. And uh, they immediately were like, Beaumont, is Ray her pastor? And, and, and here's the deal. Um, they forced me to pick up my phone. They forced <laughs> me to call Lou. And they're like, you have to tell us this. And I'm going, okay. And I just say, hey, would you, your pastor happen to be Raymond McKinley back home? And I said, yes. So it was this really pivotal moment in our relationship where we realized Raymond McHenry yeah. pa uh, pastored both of us and yeah. baptized both of us. Yeah. But we want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you to Westgate. Thank you to the women, men and women there who poured into me and discipled me. Um, I'm so thankful for guys like Raymond McHenry and Jeff Sandusky who are still there serving faithfully. It's a great church. Um, you guys are a part of my story. And so anywhere I go, I you know, you guys are a part of it. We take you with us. Yeah, I, I still remember the first sermon that I, I heard when I attended Westgate. And, um, you know, being in ministry now, uh, I was actually telling her this morning, uh, I used portion of that sermon. Just something that Raymond said in his sermon, I ended up saying to a couple. Um, it's just really cool to see that, that no matter where we are, no matter if it's uh, Houston, Beaumont, if it's Arlington, or, or, or next, it's gonna be in Florida. Like, Y'all are a part of us. Yeah, we take it's, you guys with us. We're so. so grateful for your ministry, your service to the kingdom, and we just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being part of our story. Thank you guys. Blessings. Isn't that a cool story? Yeah? <laughs> Daylight savings time, man. That's always the worst uh, Sunday of the year, it feels like. But I wanted you guys to see that. You know, we, we are have been in a series called The Great Interruption, going through the Gospel of John, of, of how God interrupts our lives in such a, in, in, uh, enjoyable, fun, cool ways. And uh, as we were looking at that, I wanted you to see that couple, because as we go into 21 days of prayer and fasting, uh, Dr. Wallach and his wife, Lou, uh, put together the practice of spiritual disciplines, and we are using two chapters out of that for fasting and prayer, and you can find those out on the resource table when you leave today along with one of these prayer guides if you don't have one already. 
but they put that together for us and the connections that are here now you may not have followed the storyline exactly but they were both in churches that i pastored uh phil over in houston and Lindsay is how many of you that were here long enough remember her which is kind of a fun story about how her name changed because when he told me that he was married to lou i had no idea who lou was but when Lindsay and Catherine were roommates at East Texas Baptist University. They had those old windows up there with the different eight panes on there. They had to abbreviate their names. And so Catherine abbreviated her name to Cat. And Lindsay was kind of like, don't think Lindsay's going to fit in the window pane. So she remembered that her dad called her Lindsay Lou. So she went by Lou, and she's been going by Lou ever since. In fact, Phil doesn't even know who Lindsay is. But he's married to her. So, but anyway, um, cool stuff, and they have written some really interesting material, I think, that will help us as we go on this journey. The resource table back there, now, let me just say, I'm going to try to brag on you a little bit, because we have about 15, we had, we started the day with about $1,500 worth of resources out there on that table. They're all free for you to take after the service, anything that might help you in these next three weeks as we lead up to Easter just inviting God to do something cool within our lives, to just overwhelm us with his holiness, to take whatever you would like out there, and I hope you do better than the first service. They didn't take a whole lot. So take everything that you need. It is free for you to use. And uh, so we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, You probably wonder about the wisdom of uh, having a worship service in which we pray so much on the Sunday in which we just lost an hour of sleep. But we're going to do a lot of praying today. Rather than continue in our series, The Great Interruption, we're going to take a one-week break. I felt like we just needed a little introduction to this, and that's what Warren was doing in the time of prayer that we had, just to lead us into praying through these next 21 days. And as we do that, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you have the prayer guide, you should have received that in the mail. If you didn't, certainly pick it up out there. But we have divided the Lord's Prayer up into seven segments. And so you will go through that in a seven-day cycle and then repeat it. So three different times you will go through what's known as the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the Lord's model prayer for us to pray. It's not a prayer that we just repeat, but it's a prayer that is a template a template for us to follow. And I'm very grateful for for Jana putting all of this together for us. Uh, She did a lot of work in laying it out and structuring it. So uh, be sure and use that in these 21 days. Today, though, we're going to be talking about uh, how we can pray as we should. And why today? Well, why are we having 21 days of prayer? What is this week? It's been a year. March the 11th was the day in which it was announced that COVID was a global pandemic. And here we are a year later, still trying to reassess things, trying to find our bearings, many of us moving in different directions. I hope all of us are moving in somewhat of a different direction than than where we may have been, and hopefully in a good way, definitely in a good way. And so Jesus saying to his disciples, this is how you should pray. Every disciple of any rabbi wanted to know, how do we pray? They had plenty of models for prayer. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they modeled prayer all the time, but in a horrible way. They would parade around, and they would try to go as long as they could. And what they were literally doing, they were competing with each other. Can you imagine people competing in prayer? 
is they would walk around, they would use repetition many times. If their prayer wasn't going long enough, they would extend it by repeating something. And Jesus was saying, you have a horrible example of what prayer is like. So I want to teach you. And, and when he, each one of these phrases that he uses is completely opposite of what the people were seeing as modeled by their religi religious leaders. And we'll look at that. So what we'll be doing today, and I know that many of you are very tired, so let's just have a mass confession because it's good for the soul to confess in the house of the Lord. Are you tired? Just raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Many of us here. I mean, I, I was up all night. I, I got the second vaccine yesterday, and I was just thinking, okay, at some point that thing's going to kick in. I'm just going to go south in a hurry. Everything's going to be bad. And so rather than waiting for the time change, I was up all night waiting to see when that thing's going to kick in. Finally, about four in the morning, I thought, hey, I think I'm good. And God, God answered my, my prayer. <laughs> now, everything is good. But, you know, we're all tired. But as we go through this now, we, we want to take the time to really pause and reflect and really let each one of these phrases just ruminate inside of us, to meditate on it, and kind of kickstart us as we think about uh, praying through this. So, so let's look at how Jesus modeled for us a template that he gave us for praying. It says, our Father in heaven. That first word threw everybody for a loop. The reason was, is they were used to people doing religion like an individual sport, thus the competing. It wasn't about community. It was about individuals. And Jesus has said, we are in this together. And that is good news for all of us. It's to be reminded of God's inclusivity, that he has invited all of us. For some of us, there are regrets, there's sin, there's parts of our past that we feel have kind of canceled us out from God's love. And Jesus says, when you say, our Father, you are acknowledging that all of us are in this together. Isn't that good news for all of us? To celebrate that, that none of us are excluded for God's offering of his love and forgiveness. Then he used the word father. That was a brand new word. Everybody thought of God as a distant force, not really in relationship. He was always either high on the mountain or in the fire or in the smoke or in the temple, but God was always distant. And Jesus is saying, you refer when you pray. And they're all looking like, is this legal? We've never prayed like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. Father reminds us of the, the eminence of God, the closeness that we have. And I understand that for some of us, we, we may have had a relationship with our dad in which there isn't a closeness. But God is a perfect heavenly Father. And Father serves as an example of closeness, that invitation to be drawn in and invited in to be a part of a relationship with God. So it's the eminence of God, close. You know, if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God literally lives inside of you. How close can you get? And then he says, in heaven. Great tension point here. Because you have our Father who is close, eminence. That's the theological word, the eminence of God, the closeness of God. But then you have the transcendence of God, that there is a huge chasm between who we are and who God is. As Warren was leading us, talking about he is the creator. We're the created. We're the clay. 
He is the potter. And so he is reminding us of the supremacy of God, that he is in heaven, and that he is this wonderful, loving, heavenly father who invites us to be close, but he wants us to remember who we're drawing close to. So I'd like for you to take just, uh, you know, about 30 seconds or so and just thank God for being our heavenly father. Let's pray. are so overwhelmed by the reality that you invite us into relationship knowing that you are the creator and sustainer of all that there is. And even in all of your transcendence, you've invited us to experience your eminence, your closeness, that relationship. I pray that as we pray to you, especially in these coming weeks, that we would just celebrate the gift that you have given us through Christ to know you as our loving Heavenly Father. So we continue on, and Jesus is explaining this. He says, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Hallowed is a sense of, of fear, fear in a good way, reverence, all. I love how Isaiah writes about it in Isaiah 8, 13. He says, fear the Lord your God. He alone. He's the Holy One. And if you fear him, you need fear, nothing else. So many times our fears are misplaced. They're, they're about something else. And here is Jesus saying, have that awe and that sense of reverence for the Lord. It means to be treasured. You know, I'm having a tough time unloading some stuff. I just realized the older I get, my kids don't want anything that I have. Not all they want is me to just take it all to the curb. And so I'm trying to just gradually get rid of stuff so when that day comes, it won't be so bad. But I'm having a tough time unloading stuff because I treasure too much. And what he's saying here is treasure nothing more than God. So would you take a moment now and just say, God, I treasure you. I hallow your name. we treasure so many things even when we try to get rid of things we find that it's a challenge because we have too much affection for it and I pray that you would help us especially in these coming days to just reorient our thinking our focus to align ourselves in which we treasure nothing more than you and as we repeat these words each of the, uh, the days that are coming that when we say hallowed be your name we would truly be expressing that we treasure you more than anything else. Then we come to this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to experience the, the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? You know, oftentimes we think of heaven and that's the kingdom of God. And, and when we think about heaven, we think, okay, well, up there we're going to be able to do our favorite thing, whether you like golf or, or, or whatever your thing is. And you just think, when we get to heaven, that's, that's all we're going to be able to do. But you know the real beauty of heaven? It's not what we get to do, but who we get to be with. And we say, oh yeah, we get to be with all the, the, the friends and family that have gone before us. Yes, but the real beauty of heaven is we get to be with God, with Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior. The kingdom of God is a place where sin doesn't exist. Could you imagine if we could eradicate sin now? All of the problems that, that would be resolved, they'd all be resolved if sin were gone. Kingdom of God is a place in which sin doesn't exist. It says God's kingdom is to be expanded, advanced. That's what it means when you say your kingdom come. We want it to be normative to see a transfiguration. We want it to be normative to see a resurrection. We want it to be normative to experience miracles. That's what the kingdom of God is. Those things are normative. They're not exceptions. Your kingdom come and your will be done that there would be no competing wills. We've all found ourselves in, in disagreements with someone, and basically it, it's us against them, their will and what they want and, and what we want. We have those competing wills going. Sometimes it's our will against God's will. The kingdom of God is where there's no competing wills, not yours, not mine. None of us are competing against God's will. And when we desire what God wants, it's always for our best. So we pray, oh Lord, would your kingdom come, the, the best thing that could ever happen, may it come and may your will, may everything play out exactly as you would desire on earth as it is in heaven. That we would experience that here. So oftentimes we're, th this is a prayer for now. This is not a prayer for when we get to heaven. This is a prayer for now as we live on earth. And that the dynamics of what take place in heaven would be taking place right here on earth even now. That's what we're praying for in these next 21 days. No debate. Now, can you imagine an angel standing up to God and saying, I, God, that doesn't sound like a really good idea. Have you thought about when God says something, boy, they do it. That that would be the same way it works in each one of our lives. There's sometimes in my life in, in which God asked me to do something and, and, you know, I kind of dig my heels in. And we're just saying, just as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, going to the cross, not because of the physical pain. You know, that, that was a very big reality. Nothing more excruciating than crucifixion, but what Jesus dreaded most was the fact that the sins of humanity would be placed upon him. And we don't understand that, but he did. And that's why he said, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, let's do that. But he ultimately said, your will be done. He would pray what he led us to pray in. So would you take a moment just pray, oh God, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Lord, as we stand here a year removed from the beginning of this horrible pandemic. Our imaginations don't have any problem dreaming of a day when COVID is in the rearview mirror. 
It's no longer a threat. It's no longer a reality. We can imagine things like that. But God, you're calling us to imagine a kingdom in which sin is non-existent. Everything is perfect. And it's not the things that we get to do, but it's the fact that we get to be with you that draw us in so much. And we pray that as we live on this earth, we wouldn't just bide time until we get to heaven and everything plays out the way that you've ordained. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives, in our church, in our country, and throughout every region of the world. And it would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. No debate, no argument, no competition, just full surrender to you. Continue on that next phrase, and it says, give us today our daily bread. It reflects our ongoing need for God. We are such a resilient, self-sufficient kind of people. One of the things that, that we have repeatedly heard throughout this pandemic is we will get through this. Now, why are we going to get through it? Because we're Americans, and we will figure out a way to get through this. But you know, everything about us is completely dependent on God. Our very existence. It's like the manna in the wilderness. It, it wasn't just a way for God to provide food for the Hebrew people. It was a reminder of their daily dependence upon God. Because God was able to make one supply the day before the Sabbath last two days. But it never lasted more than one day unless it was for the Sabbath. We need God on a daily basis. And that's why Jesus would use this word bread to remind us of, of the manna. And notice what it says, give us today our daily bread. Hospitality was such a, a, a big reality during the time of Christ. People shared, they shared what they had. If you had a piece of bread, you would share it with someone else. And so he says, give us today our daily bread, not just my own needs. It's, it's, a, it's a push against selfishness to say that I will share with what I have with you. You know, sharing with our neighbors. Think about how you could be praying for your neighbors, those people that live around you. And a, a number of years ago, we had a little initiative we called Bless Five at Five, and it was simply calling each one of us. Typically, our house is one neighbor on both sides and three in front of us, typically. We thought about those five neighbors, and at some time during the day, five o'clock was just a guess, or maybe you ate dinner somewhere around there, five at five. You pray that God's blessing would be upon them. Taken from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May God show you his favor and give you his peace. As we thought about those letters, B stood for belief, that they would believe in God, that that household would have a belief in God. The, the L was that love would flourish in their home. Imagine praying for your neighbors. They would believe in God and that love would flourish in their home. The E was that they would, need, they would be encouraged. We all need encouragement. And pray that your neighbors would be encouraged in the daily grind of life. First S was for strength, that they would have strength for the challenges that they do face. The final S was sin, that they would be victorious over sin and temptation. Give us today our daily bread. It's not just a selfish prayer. It's a prayer for others. So would you take a moment now and just say, God, would you help me? from your bottomless pit, bottomless well of unlimited resources. That's what Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. 
He would say that God would meet our needs according to his unlimited riches in Christ. There is no bottom to what he wants to provide. And we would, we would pray that for others as well. So let's pray together and ask that. God, we thank you for the unlimited resources that you provide. We're reminded even as we pray this prayer, a tendency towards selfishness that we, we're so oftentimes not even conscious of. We don't go to the grocery store to buy food for other people on a regular basis. We think about what we want. We don't buy clothes as we think of other people. I know that we do from time to time, but for the most part, we go in and out and get what we need. Help us to be reminded of the needs of those around us. And knowing that as we give, we won't run out because your resources are unlimited. God, that would lean upon you, knowing that we are totally dependent upon you. The next day will never arrive unless you allow it to. The next moment won't, allow, won't arrive unless you allow it to. Thank you for being a God who loves us so much that you provide our every need. And then this next phrase, and forgive us our debts. It's kind of hard sometimes to confess all of our debts, all of our sins. But notice the way it's phrased, and forgive us our debts. Who are we praying to? Praying to God. David penned something in Psalm 51 that should get all of our attention. Psalm 51 was his, his prayer of contrition after Nathan had confronted him and he owned up to his sin with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband, Uriah. And you find there in Psalm 51, verse 4, David saying, against you and you only have I sinned. And a cursory reading of that, we say, wait a second, what about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? What about the people of Israel? But you see, David understood something on such a deeper level, that even when we sin, against someone else. We are sinning against God because this is his creation. All of it is his. So ultimately, we're responsible to him. And so, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? And I pray that over the next 21 days, you'll just keep asking God, show me what it is that I need to confess to you. You may not be trying to rob a bank. You may not be trying to do some horrible thing. But I found in my own life, one of the things that I hate the most is my pride. And I don't walk around, I think, being conceited. But I just find that pride creeps up in my life so much. The need to be right. The need to have things go my way. I pray that you would just open your heart to God and ask him to forgive us our debts. Let's do that. God, we pray that you would cleanse us of our sins and that we would not just say, my sins alone, but the sins of our church, the sins of our family, 
sins of our country, sins of humanity's rebellion against you. God, that we would not point out sin in the lives of other people. God, we would own it as well. Know that as a people, we are a part of that. We would invite you, plead with you, to cleanse us of our sin and wash away the desire to stay there. Tell us in Jeremiah that a leper cannot change his spots and we cannot change our sin. Only you can. So we come to you in confession. Please show us through these next 21 days things in our lives that you desire for us to change. May we be willing and obedient, knowing that every great spiritual awakening throughout history has started with people repenting of their sins. May we be that kind of people in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Is anybody you need to forgive? So easy to bask in the forgiveness of God. Be thankful that he has cleansed us of all of our sins, but is there something that you're holding against someone else? Is there, is there someone else that you feel kind of superior to? Your thoughts, your ideas, your political persuasions, the way that you do life, you're better than them. Is there something you need to let go? And just say, God help me to forgive those who might have sinned against me. Let's pray to that end. God, you remind us in your word the great travesty of trying to seek your forgiveness without offering forgiveness to others. Whenever we do that, it is just a reminder that we do not understand how much you have forgiven us. No one can do more to us than what we have done to you. So I pray that you would be in our midst and allow us to be generous forgivers just as you have so generously forgiven us. That long-standing seed of bitterness, unforgiveness would be released. And when it leaves our lives, it would be filled afresh with a fresh presence of your spirit. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's kind of a tough phrase. Pope Francis a few years ago had such a, a challenge with that that he changed it because the idea was that God doesn't tempt. The Bible tells us that he doesn't tempt. What was Jesus saying there? He's reminding us of having a greater desire for transformation than temptation. That what we want more than anything else is for God to transform us into the image of Christ. There is a tendency in all of us to crowd as close as we can to temptation in hopes that we won't fall prey. And the prayer here is, God, that you would lead us away, that you would allow us to want you more than what that temptation seeks to be promising. It's a vote of no confidence in yourself to say, on my own, Lord, I will go there. So please lead me away from it because my tendency is to keep moving in that direction. And I pray that you would deliver me from the evil one because my tendency is to follow his schemes and his ideas and his tricks. God, that you would deliver me from that. I found it interesting in reading through the Bible in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, a verse I don't know that I've ever really 
completely gotten it. So talking about the building of the tabernacle, and which is not usually a, uh, you know, a real fun read. How big everything is, how the curtains are made, and the embroidery and all that. And reading through that, but a little phrase in there. It says that they took the mirrors of the women who served at the tent of meeting, and they transformed them into basins to facilitate people going into worship. I thought, how unique is that? Because a mirror tempts us to vanity. And that temptation that would tempt us to be focused on ourselves is transformed into an implement that would facilitate worship where our focus is on God. That's what Jesus is talking about here, putting our focus on God. So let's take a moment to pray. God, please remove from our hearts that desire to walk as closely to sin as we can without getting trapped. Give us a desire to walk as closely as we can to you, to shun temptation, to recognize the lie of every sin, that it will do more damage than we could ever imagine. It will cost us more than we could have fathomed, and it will take us farther away from you than we would have ever dreamed. God, help us to walk closely with you. Protect us from the evil when we pray. Protect us from our own hearts that would be tempted to follow after the schemes of the devil, that we would follow after you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, in a number of your Bibles, you won't find that last phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There's a debate as to whether or not that was really a part of the original, but I just love the way that it can be used as a doxology of praise. For yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, it's the power, and the glory forever. Statement of majesty. Christ holds everything together. So would you take a moment to just thank him for holding everything together? collectively as a church family here today we offer up this praise of doxology to say yours O oh Lord is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen as we sing this last song together would you just join me as we worship God and if there is a, a need within your heart a desire to follow after Christ this prayer is pretty straightforward. It reminds us that God loves us. <clears throat> He's created every one of us to have a relationship with him. And just as Jesus alluded to here, our sin is a big hang-up, and it will forever separate us from God unless we allow Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our sins and make us right for eternity with God. It begins by humbly repenting of our sins. It's not trying to come to God and saying, I can figure it out. It's saying, God, I'm dependent upon you to forgive me. It starts with a simple prayer, just inviting Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And you may see that up on the screen here in just a moment. If you'd like to pray that prayer, you'd like someone to help you receive Christ, I'll be standing over at the crosses in just a moment. However God is leading in your heart, make this a time of worship as we close out this service. Love y'all. Thanks for listening.
Take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. For the glory of the risen 